On behalf of Direct Agents, I'm Dinesh Boaz, and this is The Blueprint. The Blueprint showcases entrepreneurs, creators, innovators, and thought leaders. Today, we have fashion lawyer and partner at HBA, professor of law, podcaster, author, and good friend, Douglas Hand. How are you living today, Douglas? Things are good. Good morning. Great to see you. Good to see you as well. So as you're kind of navigating the world today, you know, we, I wanted to sort of take some time out and, and connect with you on, on the blueprint. Uh, so I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the show and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So tell us, you know, tell us a little bit about your career journey and kind of how you ended up being one of the best fashion lawyers in the country. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, I, uh, I was born in L.A., so West Coast guy, uh, born and raised uh, in Laguna Beach and uh, ended up going to law school uh, and business school at NYU and, and became somewhat of a bicoastal creature um, and uh, ended up starting my practice at a multinational firm, Sherman and Sterling, doing cross-border M&A, which was, uh, you know, very sexy billion dollar deal stuff. Um, and in my twenties, you know, I definitely was, was kind of gunning for that kind of an experience, but I realized through my practice that some of my finest moments were really working directly with principals at companies. And in particular, uh, if the company had any creative element, uh, that was where I felt, uh, I was shining. And while it was a great place to cut my teeth, uh, it, it was not a place where I'd get a consistent diet of that type of work. So, um, I candidly just formed the firm on the basis of really wanting to work uh, more directly with creatives and specifically uh, maybe because I had, you know, pardon the somewhat hackneyed phrase, but passion for fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, this, I mean, you know, my book is about right. menswear, uh, sure. which of course everyone listening should go out and, and pick up a copy of the laws of style. But um <sighs> It, it has been very gratifying to really build a practice around an area that is, is near and dear to me. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more than just into it. I, I think that there is a, a real talent in a brand, not just to design creatively, which is, which is clearly a creative element of the enterprise, but also the storytelling, uh, which is ultimately brand building uh, and accretive to the value. Uh, fashion broadly considered is over a $2 trillion industry globally. So there's plenty of space to wade in there and, and create a, a, you know, a lucrative future uh, for me and, and my lawyers, uh, but also do that in a way that, that affords me the opportunity to, to work with people that I truly admire. Um, so yeah, formed HBA over 15 years ago now. Uh, focused on fashion lifestyle, which broadly considered is is really inclusive of cosmetics and perfume. Um, and uh, we, we really look at the practice of law more as aligning with the fashion industry and less legal topics like I have real estate lawyers, I have IP lawyers, I have litigators, I have corporate lawyers, I have employee benefits lawyers, but they all function just in this industry. And there are peculiarities and and specific elements to the industry where, um, you know, my real estate lawyers do nothing but retail leases. Uh, my IP lawyers do a ton of, you know, trademark work, design protection, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's pretty specific stuff. Interesting. And 
but you know specifically in storytelling um you know you mentioned that i mean i think today in this kind of new normal the there's so many things happening in terms of how brands are telling the stories and as an agency we're looking at that and you know what are some things that you're you're doing as as a company and 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 you know as a partner at at, a, at your firm in terms of storytelling in this new normal and kind of advising your clients on how how to tell their story well i think um a lot of the traditional channels through which a brand um told its story and 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 did its marketing and its public relations were event driven and so obviously the pandemic uh is hugely impactful there uh i i truly do miss going out and mixing it up <laughs> yeah. um you know as uh you know, runway shows and store openings and all of those things. Uh, so that's been, you know, a big adjustment, uh, not only for me, but for other lawyers at the firm. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how brands come back with socially distanced events, if, if they even do. Uh, I think it's an exciting opportunity uh, for them to, in a sense, recreate uh, or recast that dialogue with their customers. Um, in terms of, of the firm, um, you know, our storytelling is really more uh, the, the, the specialization in the industry. But in terms of how the pandemic has, has impacted the firm and uh, us working remotely, in a way, we haven't missed a beat because as, as service professionals, uh, I, I treat all my lawyers like adults. I mean, they come in when they want to come in, operate remotely uh, a lot of the time. So um, as a firm, we're actually really evaluating how we want to come back into a physical space. I mean, I do miss going to our offices on Bryant park, but I won't miss the overhead (laughs) (laughs) of of that rent payment. If we drop the lease. Right. So do you see that kind of changing in your industry overall? I mean, we're thinking about the similar things, Uh, you know, big space, New York city, obviously it's expensive, but then there's a human element that you still want. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, which we all crave, but are you seeing that changing as well? I am. Uh, you know, I, I think we're not the only firm evaluating it. And, and we're a boutique firm. I mean, we're, we're 20 lawyers, so it's not, uh, it's not a massive operation. We can be pretty nimble. I think it's harder for those law firms uh, or other service professionals that are 500, 1,000 uh, to, to, to pivot on this quickly. But uh, I think a lot of organizations are finding that, that they haven't really missed a beat that channels like Zoom and others where they can meet regularly, which as a firm we do uh, a couple of times a week just for, just for updates and, and socialization and, and cultural passing back and forth uh, is, is still possible. I will say as we approach the summer, I mean, traditionally in law firms, there is a summer associate uh, program and we do have a summer, a summer associate coming, uh, but she'll be remote the entire summer, which is going to be uh, – Kind of interesting and, and challenging from 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 the perspective of, of her learning um but we'll see how we get through that and i think um it definitely is that I, I think people want it you know my professionals my lawyers um I, i've seen them shine at times through this uh you know new normal and that's great to see and it's sort of as uh i i don't like to be considered a traditional thinker right. and um you know, to, to feel like a law firm has to have uh, grand physical space uh, is both expensive and, and it's seeming in some ways counterproductive to what uh, what your lawyers want. Right. Okay. That's interesting to hear. Kind of 
talking about fashion again, in terms of, you know, your numerous advisory boards, obviously you're connected to some amazing brands. What are you seeing in terms of a pivot in, in the fashion industry from, um, you know, thinking about the retail space in, in a new way or yeah. thinking about how they're pivoting in that direction? Well, you know, the pandemic hit at a time when retail was already suffering, right? Recall that Barney's filed for bankruptcy uh, earlier in the year. Neiman Marcus, J. Crew were teetering and they've now filed. Uh, so certainly a shift to, to a DTC model uh, was, was there. It's, it's only speeding up. It's only sped up. Um, and I should probably note for listeners who may not fully understand the nuance of, of the fashion industry. I mean, most brands that we uh, think of don't really produce their products and they don't necessarily sell them directly. It, it would shock you how many brands, at least by number, uh, have no actual channel to their direct customer. If they do, it might be, you know, call the company to place an order. They really don't have, and I'm talking more legacy brands that were brought up, sure. um, you know, eighties, nineties, uh, any new brand clearly does have, uh, a, a channel through which they can sell directly to consumers, but it may not be nearly as pleasant as, uh, going to Bergdorf's or even go to, going to, to, to net a porte or other online channels, which, uh, which kind of, work better candidly. So you've seen brands speed up the process by which they want to stand independent uh, through a DTC channel. Um, and um, I think also the industry writ large is looking at this as an opportunity to, to hit the reset button on, on what has been typically known as a fashion calendar. This is kind of an outdated timeline of design and showing a line of products usually about six months before they'll even hit stores. Uh, th this is sort of the notion of a season and I'm throwing up air quotes for the sure. listeners. Um, you know, Gucci a couple of days ago announced they are going seasonless. Uh, a lot of newer brands have announced they're going seasonless. I, I'm working with a group, uh, CFDA and Tory Birch has kind of written an industry wide letter, uh, encouraging, um, a, a reset, uh, of the calendar. And I think that's more in line with a direct-to-consumer model where when something is designed and you have a sample of it that you can show, your customer wants to buy it. They don't want to wait six months to buy it. They, right. They'll, they'll forget right. about it in six right. months. So um, you, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. So you've seen a kind of acceleration of ideas is basically what you're saying. For, I mean. for sure. Absolutely. People, I, I, I think perhaps the silver lining is, is that liberation of thought. Right. Anything seems somewhat on the table. Um, and while brands are suffering, I, I do think those that, uh, that can see this as an opportunity will, will find it to be so. And, and I'll say some of our brands are actually flourishing. I mean, those that do have a well-built out, uh, direct pipeline online to their customers are astute at, at brand building online, which is a delicate balance today, sure. right? Not everybody wants to shop or, or see people in glamorous clothes, um, but also those that are producing things that, that people want more of now, whether right. it's, it's more comfortable clothes, more uh, appropriate work from home garb. We all want to look professional, uh, but it does seem a little odd when you see somebody in a suit 
or a woman in a business suit on a Zoom call. Right. And I think that's an interesting psychological just footnote. Sure. Why do we think it's odd? Because in right. a way, isn't it just as odd for them to come into the office that way? You know, you can, right. you can dress up for your Zoom calls and then get back into comfortable clothing if, if you choose to. I mean, personally, not to, not to deviate from, from pure business talk, but, you know, fashion is my business. Right. Uh, sure. I have defaulted a little bit, you know, during the spring, I was in a lot of cardigans. Right. Maybe with a knit tie just to sort of signal, hey, I'm the lawyer on the call. But when you're seated and, and really just upper body, I don't know, a suit seems silly, the, the fact that you're wearing a matching outfit when your yeah. bottom half isn't even showing. And, and most jackets, most suit jackets, while comfortable, aren't usually comfortable. Aren't they? They're just not made for sitting. Yeah. Right. So right. I default into the cardigan and I'm making some, some slight edits in my own wardrobe to, right. uh, to right. accommodate this. Yeah. I'm going to have to hit you up for some advice after this call. <laughs> Cause I've, I've de defaulted to t-shirts and whatever that's like laying around in my room. I started this whole pandemic with like, look, I'm going to put on what I wear to the office and have a, you know, that's going to give me the focus that I need. But then it's like, you quickly realize that's just like one less thing you need to worry about and you can actually just get to work, you know? So, right. Right. Now there, there, there's a new uniform evolving yeah. and I think a new professional, um, casualization, but I don't think it's, and not to, you know, but I don't think it's necessarily t-shirts and hoodies. I think oh, there's, there's, there's a right. line in between there. There's, there's sure. a cord that, that can be found where you look professional and you look cool right. and you feel good. Um, right. find it. yeah, I'm going to have to, pick your brain on that after this. <laughs> um, and then in terms of your podcast, like, so you obviously you're fusing art and commerce and style. Um, are you seeing anything interesting that <clears throat> any insights that you're seeing in this kind of transition, the shift um, that, you know, either you're seeing or what brands are doing uh, that could be interesting to share, uh, especially with your, when you mentioned the like sort of seasonless and like right. the now releases of products, like are there ways that products are being showcased um, or that are that viewers are seeing them now that they couldn't see them before in, in, in any way in the, in the digital world? Um, they could see them before insofar as there was always this during fashion weeks, during runway shows, there was always this flurry of, of media attention and activity. And then this huge degree of frustration amongst most customers that what they were looking at, they couldn't buy. Somewhat ironically, they often could buy within a number of weeks, if not a month, from like Zara or H&M, those very items they saw walking down the runway or close approximations of them while the brands were still going to wait four months to actually get them into stores. Um, and so again, for brands, that disharmony between when they were showing and when product actually hit the floor or became available, um, speeding that up or closing that gap is, uh, you know, does sort of do away with some of that, uh, we'll just say design appropriation that, uh, is, is perfectly legal in most cases. It's sure. just, uh, a little bit glaring for brands that feel that they spend a tremendous amount of time coming up with design um, of a line and then to have it kind of lifted uh, seems unfair, is unfair in a lot right. of ways. Um, so, so speeding that up uh, is, is a boon to customers and a boon to brands in that regard. I also think, look, when something this terrible happens on a global scale, I think people start to really think about their overall behaviors and habits Mm -hmm. And I think there certainly are brands in the industry that are cognizant of 
the difficulty in being a quote unquote sustainable brand, but also being involved in the act of commerce in fashion, where in a lot of ways you're trying to sell that what you just bought is obsolete. It's out of fashion and therefore you need to buy this new season. And after that season, you need to buy another season. And then we're a wash in clothes that we don't necessarily need, which right, is, right. is not good for the planet. Um, so I think this should be a moment of, uh, of brands like Stella McCartney and Everlane and, and, and others that we work with um, to, to really, not that they didn't have uh, a captive audience and open ears in those discussions, but, uh, but even more so, and I think we'll see most brands um, recognizing that uh, the, the speed with which people are expected uh, to, to drop what they bought and, and buy something new may well slow down um, for the better of the planet and, and hopefully for the better of the industry. But uh, it's, it's going to be a tough adjustment. There's going to be a lot of product that, that was made and is sitting in warehouses that uh, the brands are going to need to do something with. Right. Right. Interesting. Are you seeing also in terms of just adaptation now with like the traditional brands or bigger brands that are, now thinking much more digital first, um, where they've you know always been you know the cycle of fashion shows and then retail and then now kind of pivoting digital first more than they've ever have. For sure, uh, it goes without saying. Uh, like I said, I think events, as we've seen, they they've become digital, not right. not just in fashion, but um, you know, you and I are in the arts community in terms of, you know, yourself, an artist, me, just, just a fan and a collector right, uh, right. and gallery tours or, or virtual, you know, everything that can be made virtual, I think, um, and, and still be a, a interesting product. And in some ways it may be a more engaging product than the real thing um, will be because it will have to be. Uh, and, and um, I think that's a huge opportunity for, uh, for creatives in, in the media space um, that will uh, really increase a lot of the, the dialogue, because let's face it, if you were at a runway show, unless you were an editor and you got to write about it, um, you really didn't have much interaction with the brand. If it's all happening online and there's a comment feed and a, you know, there, there, there really can be engagement and a dialogue uh, through some of these channels that, the brands are hungry for too. Right? The brands want to get it right. right. Uh, so it, it's, it's going to be a very, very interesting time. And, and this all favors the younger brands, uh, right. the, right. the, the right. more creative brands, which I think is encouraging. Right. Um, you know, I recently had, and you talk about the arts and I recently had Seth Cameron, uh, who's a, director at the children's museum. Um, you know, and he's talking about how, they're pivoting the whole art mm -hmm. world and the museum world. Uh, but it was interesting to see that there's like this engine of the arts community and the fashion community and the music community of New York city that, you know, is such a big part of the entire global entertainment and like artistic world uh, still thinking and moving and changing, you know, like um, yeah. I mean, how, how do you, how do you feel about that? You know, especially now in this, like, cause I, you know, me personally, we went through this sort of period of like, Oh my God, like what happened? Pause, breathe, open the door, look around and then start running. Did you have any yeah. experience similar to that in terms of like, we're going to, we're going to kind of like get through this and there's going to be something brand new as a, as a New Yorker, you know, in, in terms of how you view the next step in this. 
for sure. Uh, in, in two ways. One, the, 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 the somewhat positive and, and, and warm fuzzy element of this is a time for anything's on the table and therefore creativity uh, and fearlessness uh, yeah. will, will, will be rewarded. And I think as uh, a somewhat entrepreneurial lawyer, a lot of lawyers don't go out and start a firm. And, you know, we did that a long time ago. Sure. Um, we, we welcome that. But then also the, the, the more put, putting the, the, the horrific sort of health consequences of the pandemic aside, the, the financial impact is, is still going to come out. I mean, it, particularly in the fashion industry and in service professional industries, I mean, we're going to see a lot of landlord bankruptcies. We're going to see a bit of a fleeing of the city. Right. Uh, and as a New Yorker, that's, uh, that's going to be tough. Right. I've been here a long time, you know, over 30 years, but that doesn't really encapsulate what a lot of New Yorkers consider the grim years of, of seventies, early eighties. Right. Um, and I've always said, I, I don't, I don't want to see those years come back. Right. <laughs> you know, I know there was a lot of, there was a lot of creative influences going on in the city. I, I I'm on the board of the kitchen, which is an arts organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, down, down in Chelsea, uh, which started in 1970 and really a, a lot of our, um, a lot of our Emmer and I uh, are those artists like Laurie Anderson and, and Bill T. Jones from from the '80s. So it was clearly yep. a fertile time for creation, but it was also a dangerous time. I mean, I'm also yep. a father, and yep. uh, you know, so uh, as a New Yorker, I'm a bit torn by it. But um, even if the firm is is a fully work remote proposition, uh, I'm, I'm not leaving New York. Um, right. I think my, my partners, uh, mostly aren't leaving New York. Some of, some of our team is now operating. I mean, we've been a bi-coastal firm for a long time. Some of them are oper operating from the West coast and, and, right. and we haven't missed a beat. I think some people will do that. Um, and, uh, it'll be interesting to see just from an urban standpoint, what, uh, what happens in the city and what happens more in the suburbs. I think there will be a, a bit of a, a burb flight. Right. Uh, and that may not be the worst thing in the world. If the artists move back into the city um, and we make sure things are safe, but, but things are more affordable for that, uh, that cauldron of creativity that, uh, that, that, that maybe is, is now several decades old. Right. That's, that's, that's great to hear. That's great to hear as a fellow New Yorker. Um, and then in terms of just, you know, you, you meant, you know, we, we, we know that you are on the board of, um, obviously many different fashion brands, but you've also been speaking at conferences um, in the entertainment and sports sector. And, and I know you're a former athlete as well. Um, you know, talk to us kind of what you see in terms of where that's heading in terms of the intersection of fashion um, and entertainment um, and even sports. Like wh where do you see some of those trends happening in the next six to 12 months? Well, sports, a whole other topic we could, we could riff on. I mean, obviously sure, the sure. sports industry has been, severely impacted right. um, by the pandemic. And, uh, but one area that was growing and one area of, of fashion and sports uh, convergence uh, is e-gaming, you know, um, essentially skins and, and brands creating uh, apparel, virtual apparel for uh, players from everything from NBA 2K to Fortnite uh, you know, to other, other gaming module, uh, you know, you, you create a, a player, 
uh, an avatar and you end up wanting to have him look good and you end up uh, trying on things that, that I think uh, the, the latest one I saw in NBA 2, 2K was Fear of God um, with, a, with a Nike collab and you want your, your avatar to look cool. And you're willing to spend actual money wow. to do that in some cases. And um, as, as people are distant these days, but maybe closer than ever online, uh, being able to distinguish who you are as a player and your avatar is, is definitely a money-making opportunity. And back to sustainability, hey, none of those clothes are going to wind up burned or buried in the planet. Right. right so, right. uh, it's, it's a great Avenue for, for growth for a lot of brands. So as the influencer world is changing so fast, like this could be a whole nother world of opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and in terms of just kind of winding down here, what are some sources of inspiration for you? I know you mentioned art obviously, and, uh, you know, fashion, uh, music, but you know, what are some th- other things that are kind of getting, getting you through this time and, and thinking about the future in, in this new way that obviously you're very um, progressive in how you're thinking and you know, what is inspiring that? Well, I think part of what we've been inspired by uh, as a firm is um, recognizing how global what our clients do is and connecting with on the production side, uh, some brands helping them connect with and, and ourselves connecting with uh, some of the manufacturers. And for some brands, those manufacturers are still truly artisans. They are, they are working at a bench, hammering nails into the bottom of shoes. They are weaving bags out of locally sourced uh, palm fronds. Uh, and recognizing that, that back to story creation as the other element of, of what a brand puts out there, that's a story. People want to see that. People yeah. want to, to um, feel the specialness in the item that they have and connect with the true maker. Right. And so I'm not, I, I don't think I'm denigrating brands or designers by saying they're not necessarily the true maker. They are a designer right. and they go to someone who actually makes and I think those stories, you're seeing more and more of them come online. And I think they're fascinating. You know, I, I, I was a big fan of, uh, of Anthony Bourdain's show, yeah. uh, where he really introduced you to the world through his passion of food. And I think it's an opportunity for brands or designers or personalities in the fashion space to introduce you to the world through fashion and through artisans. Uh, so that's one thing that, that is really uh, inspiring us as we go through this time. And it's, it's, it's wonderful that uh, through technology, we can, uh, Wi-Fi in some of these places isn't great, but, but still you can connect with the artisan and um, you know, it may tax your, your Spanish speaking ability or your right, Thai speaking right. ability, but, but you get through it yeah. uh, because they so want to get through it as well. So they'll, there'll be hopefully a, a, a more bleeding of lines uh, between you know, who the designer is and who the creator is. And I think that's a good thing. That's great. And so that's a great storytelling opportunity as well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, on my last question, I think is, you know, career advice, right. For people that are coming up in, in fashion, law, media, the arts, I mm-hmm. mean, you, you're in, you play in all those places. Uh, what's your advice for, you know, people that are coming up today 
especially in this new world? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think one piece of advice I would give to everyone, but but certainly service professionals, is is to be your genuine self. Um, by that I mean it, it. It certainly isn't obvious that that a lawyer and a very classically trained lawyer with an MBA and a finance degree and all of these things would, would kind of play in the fashion world the, the way I have. Um, but I think part of that is just as I was going through law school and in and around New York City and Paris and, and, and back in Los Angeles, most of the people I was kind of running with were more on the creative side of the spectrum. And they knew me as a lawyer, even though I wasn't yet a lawyer. I was kind of that guy who was in the room who, oh, he's the lawyer because I didn't, I wasn't faking anything. I wasn't ashamed to be a corporate lawyer in training. And I think I was able to talk about it at moments that anybody wanted to hear about it uh, in ways that were at least somewhat engaging and apply it to what those people were doing. Um, in some ways, I, I think when, when you sit in my seat, uh, there's a temptation to consider yourself a frustrated creative yourself, um, that, that you're serving a creative industry because you yourself couldn't be creative. Uh, I, I view it more as just a partnership and right. that, that I'm a small part of that creation in a lot of ways. And I get to see that across a broad category of clients, which is, right. which is really gratifying. So being your genuine self uh, is, is, is certainly the, the first step to that. No, that's, that's great advice. Um, I think, you know, you, you're right. There's so many times where people try to play every role, um, right. but by playing your role, you're actually helping curate the whole experience, you know? Um, exactly. And, and giving people comfort that they're dealing with a lawyer, not some lawyer wannabe. I mean, the last thing I would want if I was a potential client Right. is a lawyer who actually wanted to be me and wanted my job right. and right. sort of right. wasn't that into the law. Right. right. <laughs> totally. You know, again, we really appreciate your time joining us today on the blueprint. I think it's, it's amazing what you're doing and hearing about how you pivoted and are viewing the future. And, and I love what you're talking about in terms of like thinking about the planet in a new way and think about our social responsibility in a new way. I think that's like such a powerful thing. Um, and I, you know, I can't wait to kind of, walk into another gallery with you and share some art, you know, drink some wine when we get to yeah, that, that, not, that place not again. Not socially distanced with you, hopefully. Yeah, very, not very socially distanced with you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so stay safe, stay healthy and keep doing what you're doing and, and we'll, we'll talk soon.